Hey, welcome everyone to the In the Lord's Vineyard podcast, the podcast where we strive to see the hand of the Lord in the gathering of Israel. And signed is actually our very first episode. And so I'm really pleased to be joined today by Matthew Cousins. In this podcast, we're going to interview members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who can share experiences where they've seen the hand of the Lord participating in this, the gathering of Israel. Because we know there's a lot of members of the church who have these really awesome experiences, and we want to bring these people on to share them. Because I think they're very faith-promoting, and they also encourage me personally to share the gospel more. So we want to interview return missionaries, recent converts, and member missionaries, everyone who has these stories to share. So tonight I'm honored to be joined by Matthew Cousins. He is our very first guest and someone, honestly, I really look up to. And we served together in Deacon's Quorum before, and he's a man who I highly admire. He's served the Lord a lot. He's served our country a lot. And so there's a reason we chose him to be our first guest. So thank you for joining us tonight. Yeah, thank you for having me. Okay, so we'll do a quick introduction of Brother Matt Cousins here tonight. So he was born in Newport, Rhode Island, raised in California, however. He's been married to his wife, Veronica, for 34 years. They have three kids. He recently competed in the... Huntsman Senior World Games, where he won four medals in his first year competing. So that's one of his hobbies is keeping in shape. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. And let's uh, let's talk about your mission then, too. So you served in the Hermosillo, Mexico mission. So what was the mission like then versus now? So what was it like then? Well, it was the mission itself, the Hermosillo mission was huge. It covered all of Baja, California, north and south, Tijuana, Mexicali, over the northern part of the Gulf of California. And then it comes all the way south through the state of Sonora, which is where Hermosillo is, and heads on down south to Sinaloa, where you get to Culiacan. So when I first got into the mission, the mission president calls me in, and he says, are you prepared to start your mission? I said, sure. <laughs> and he goes, okay, you're going to hop on an 11-hour bus ride down south to Culiacan. So that was my first area, 11 hours south of the mission home. And, uh, you know, my, my Spanish was MTC Spanish, so it was a, a test to behold. And so it was a huge mission, uh, very hot in the summer times. In the winter times, uh, it actually did get cold because it was desert. But um, there were no temples in the mission at the time. And uh, compared to now, that mission, the Hermosillo mission of when I went was 1986 to 88, has now been divided up into four missions. So you have the Hermosillo mission, the Tijuana mission, the Obregón mission, and the Culiacán mission, which used to be all one mission. And now you have the Hermosillo temple, you have the Tijuana temple, and in October of 2021, President Nelson announced the... Um, Kulekan Temple, which is fabulous because Kulekan, if you know any of the history of Mexico, is a huge area for the drug cartels. So having a temple there is mind-blowing. It is so wonderful to see the gospel growing so much in Mexico, despite what we hear on TV about things, the nefarious activities that go on down there. That's just a small aspect of Mexico. The people are wonderful. The country has a rich culture. The food's wonderful, of course. <laughs> but the people are just outstanding, friendly, um, will give you the shirt off their backs, um, just do anything they can to help you. And the members are just fabulous members, very strong on the gospel, and um, love the missionaries. They love the missionaries, so. 
I haven't been down there in a while, but um, I can't wait to get back down there. So yeah, I love that. Yeah, I, I served my mission in Mexico City, so I totally agree with all your sentiments about the Mexican people. They're very kind, and they would literally give you the shirts off their back if you needed it. And they love to feed you, right? They love yeah. to feed mission. They love to feed you. Yes. Yeah, I remember I saw my mission president for the first time after he got home. So I was there for the first two years of history, your mission. And first thing he said to me is, wow, Elder Allen, you look like you've lost a lot of weight. I'm like, well, I'm not eating the tortillas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So an interesting story about weight. So I ate so much there because the food was just fabulous. I actually gained so much weight that when I went to get on my bike, I split my pants. So uh had to go change. <laughs> but then, nice. so I went into the mission about 175. I blew up to over 200. And then about six months before I came back, I got parasites and dropped back down to 175. And so, but I'm clear and free of all that and haven't had a problem since. So. They, there we go. Yeah, they made us take those parasite pills every six months. I made yeah. sure to bring some home with me to take when I got back. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I love Mexico. It's a great place. So let's talk a little bit about learning the language. So how was it learning a new language, you know, getting out there in the mission field now having to speak it? So I spoke, well, I took some Spanish, class, Spanish classes in high school. I think the only reason why I passed was because the teacher liked me. So I ended up with a C in those classes. Getting to the MTC, that was hard, trying to learn the language. It just didn't come natural to me. And so getting into the mission... Um, basically I just, those first few discussions, I just sat there and smiled. I didn't understand it. I couldn't speak it. And I was really getting frustrated. And I mean, that's probably a story with the majority of the missionaries that learn another language, but it was interesting to go back several years. So in my third grade year, no, it was my second grade year in elementary school. I struggled with spelling as I've had my whole life and the teacher said, just spell the words the way they sound. Okay, so I misspelled the words all throughout my education career because of what that teacher said to do. So I spelled they, T-H-A-Y, my whole life, and it took a lot to break that habit. However, struggling through the Spanish language, I had a very intelligent district leader who pulled me aside during splits one time. He asked me how I was doing. I said, look, I'm I'm pretty much done. I, I don't understand it. I, I can't speak the language. And he says, let me give you a tip on how it became easy for me. And he says, in the Spanish language, you pronounce every letter and you spell every word exactly the way it sounds. And from what my second grade teacher taught me and what that district leader said, it just clicked. So I don't know if that was a blessing way back in second grade that I struggled through English, but it made Spanish a whole lot better and easier once I understood what that district leader told me about how you actually pronounce every letter in the word in the Spanish language in you when you say it, and you spell it exactly how it sounds. So once that clicked in my head, then the language became pretty easy after that. Still a lot of learning. Uh, my wife is Mexican, and she speaks Spanish to me all the time and continues to correct me on my Spanish. So... It's great. Never stop learning. Yeah, I love it. Learning. it. Yeah, and it's hard, right? And you don't realize to get out there. I remember I had taken, I think, four years of Spanish in high school. And I learned that same amount in one week in MTC. Exactly. Right, they like cram it in. And then there was one night I remember where I even dreamt in Spanish in MTC. Didn't understand a word. <laughs> yeah, I guess it was bad. I'd love to go back and see that dream again. Yeah, maybe someday. <laughs> 
Yeah. Oh, good for you. It's, it's tough. It's tough learning a new language, but it's good to have a reason to, right? Right. People want to draw them closer to the Savior. Yeah. Well, let's jump over to some experiences you have for us. So what experiences would you like to share with us from your mission where you saw the hand of the Lord helping? Let's see. So scriptures were, are a real big um, influence in the mission. And um, so there was a, uh, a lady, an older lady we were teaching, um, very well educated. And uh, she accepted us in her house, and um, she desired to, to learn more about Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we began teaching her, but we noticed some roadblocks in the way. And um, I was sitting there during one of our discussions and listening to her speak. And all of a sudden, the, uh, this feeling came over me, share more of the Book of Mormon, but especially 3rd Nephi 11 when Christ comes to the Americas. And then, as we progressed through that, it was in 3rd Nephi where Christ blessed the children. And, you know, he asked for all the children to come forward, and he blessed them. And that hit this this uh, sister so hard and so profound. She was ready to be baptized right after that. For some reason, that part of the Book of Mormon just hit her in a way that the Spirit touched her in such a way that she was just overwhelmed with joy that Christ came to the Americas and how he paid so much attention to the little children. And she was baptized thereafter. And according to my sister-in-law, who has, who has passed on now, uh, I believe that this lady we baptized actually became a Relief Society president as well. So that was really cool. And another part with uh, using the scriptures we also uh, were teaching another young man. He was in his uh, 20s, but he was uh, by himself, wasn't married yet. And so he was a good prospect to teach. Uh, as we were going through the Book of Mormon, he really had a hard time with First Nephi and the Lord instructing Nephi to go and uh, get the, um, the brass plates. And, um, and then when Laban wanted to give it to him, Nephi was instructed to go back. Laban was brought to him. He was on the ground drunk, and uh, Nephi was instructed to kill him, to chop his head off and go get the plates. He really struggled with that, had a hard time with accepting the fact that the Lord would ask him to do that. And then we read further in the scriptures where it explains, hey, the Lord sometimes has to, uh, how would you say, kill the unrighteous in order for his righteous purposes to progress. And the, and the further on in that scripture where it says, it's better for one man to perish than for a whole nation to perish in unbelief. And that really got a hold of this young man and uh, strengthened his testimony of the Book of Mormon. He, two weeks later, was baptized, and it was all because of that scripture there. The Book of Mormon explaining why the Lord does things the way he does it. I don't know much about where he is now, but when we left that area, he was very strong in the church. Wow, so. I love that. Yeah, nothing has quite that power like the Book of Mormon, right? When people really want to believe and, and have faith in it and you teach with the power of it, like you can really feel the Spirit testifying of its truthfulness, right? And carries it unto their hearts. Right. And you hear the prophets and the apostles say it all the time, the best way to convert somebody is through the Book of Mormon. Uh, it is so, the truth of it, it's so plain and easy to understand. So yeah, it's it was great to use the scriptures in that way. Nice, I love it. As we were 
discussing earlier too, you uh, mentioned they have some other kind of fun and crazy stories from your mission. You know, a lot of times we say it's the best two years, but we don't also say it's also the craziest two years. It's yeah. the hardest two years. Did you, would you mind maybe sharing one or two of those with us too? Yeah. So, uh, I won't mention my companion's name. He's a great member of the church. Great. Uh, one of my most favorite companions. So we were over on the Baja California side of Mexico, but our district was on the main side. So we're on the Baja, they were east, so they were on the main side of Mexico. So every month we would have to travel by ferry across the Gulf of California to our uh, district meetings. It was a wonderful trip. It took about eight hours, if I remember right, to get across the Gulf in this ferry. So we'd travel all night and then get to our district meetings, spend a day or so there, and then hop on a ferry and, and go back to our areas. So we were running late, and um, we get our tickets, but we were running really late, and we're running to the dock to get on this ferry, and it's pulling away. And they won't let us on it. We So <laughs> we can't get back to our area. So my companion stands back, and bless his heart, he announces, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command this boat to stop and turn around and come back. And I kid you not, this is not a lie. I was there when it happened. All the electricity went out on that ship. They had to pull it back into dock. <laughs> and uh, once they fixed it, we were able to get on it and, and get back to our areas. So, wow. He was so worried that he screwed up that he was repenting and everything. I'm like... Hey, it, that's a story we will tell forever. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. So, yeah, that was a good one. This one was weird. So, during my mission in the 80s, there's a lot going on as far as drug cartels. You know, it, it was a big time in the history of Mexico. I mean, uh, Chapo Guzman was running strong. And so, I'm in Navajoa, which is a little... Not too far north of Culiacan, that's Chapel's Guzman's hometown. So my companion and I have just turned in for the night, and we've said our prayers, and we're laying down, and we're pretty much asleep. And all of a sudden, the room lights up. Now, our room is just a four-cemented four wall house with a roof over it. There's no plumbing. There's no bathrooms. There's an outhouse. Our, we get our water from a spigot out on the street, which miraculously gives out warm water. So we showered in buckets with warm water. So that was really cool. But all of a sudden this night, our room lights up. We hear these trucks skidding to our front door. And I'm, I'm awakened because our room just lights up. And I hear these rifles charging. And then I'm sitting there going, what's going on? And then outside I hear in Spanish, Come on out right now. Come on out of this house right now. And my companion is scared. I'm scared. And the only thing I could think of doing is stand up and saying, No, we're not coming out. We're members of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We're Mormon missionaries, and we are not coming out. And miraculously, you can hear them get back in their trucks. They pull away. The light in, the ha in our room goes dim, goes back to night. And everything's good to go. And we lay back down wondering what just happened. And we fall asleep and wake up in the morning just going, what happened? But 
miraculously, I, I think somebody was watching over us. In fact, I know somebody was watching over us because for them to not come barging into our room with rifles drawn, obviously they had the wrong area, the wrong house, but they weren't going to know that until later. So, but that's one experience I, I won't forget. That was a miracle in the making that nothing happened to us that night. Wow, that is absolutely crazy. That's probably one of those stories you don't tell your mom about until you get home, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't think I did tell her about that until I got home, so. <laughs> yeah. I think all of us have a few of those stories, right? Like, don't tell your mom. I think so, you know? Every mission's got something that uh, you don't tell your mom until you get home. <laughs> yeah, that is absolutely crazy. Wow. Yeah, you're right. Someone's definitely looking out for you there. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay, next, next let's talk about you. You uh, mentioned, too, you know, some... Some examples you have from your own family about the about the power of missionaries and, and priesthood power, if you don't mind sharing that one. Yeah, so um, my mother, um, several years ago, it's it's been over ten years, more probably more, but she um, suffers from uh, a disease called transverse myelitis, and it affects the spine. And in her case, it affected her from the chest down. So she was basically paralyzed from the chest down. Um, she fell to the ground. She got to a phone, called my sister at the time. I wasn't, I lived outside of California at the time. They got her to the doctors. Um, long story short, she regained feeling from the chest up, but from the waist down, she had no feeling. But she was able to walk and she's lived a normal life. But hasn't had feeling from the waist down. Um, so after my dad finally retired, so my dad's retired from the Navy. After retirement, he got another job, retired from that. Um, so now he's completely retired. So it's time for my mom and dad to do what they've always wanted to do. So they've been cruising a lot. And they've been down to Mexico, I think once or twice. They went on another cruise to Mexico. And this time they got off the boat um, just to tell you how active they were. They love zip lining, so they would zip line in Mexico. And um, I think she's probably in her 80s at this time, early 80s, 80s. Anyways, they go down to Mexico. Uh, they get off the boat to do some sightseeing with the tours that they have. And my mom falls and breaks her hip. So we might think, oh, this transverse myelitis was terrible. Yes, it was, but she broke her hip and couldn't feel it. She just couldn't get up. So that was a blessing in disguise, right? So they rush her to the doctors because they won't let her back on the boat with this injury. And they rush her to the doctors in Mexico. And Mexico's doctors did all they could for her. Um, they just didn't have really the equipment. So they were going to have to transport her to some other place. Now, all this time, my dad's on the phone with the boat. And he's saying, hey, listen, we have insurance. We bought the travel insurance. You know, you pay all that money for the travel insurance, it should work. Well, the boat came back, or the crew, or whoever it was, came back and says, we're not covering that. We're not flying her back to the United States, so you're going to have to deal with it. And um, so my dad, being the man he is, he starts thinking, okay, how am I going to do this? Okay, I'll mortgage the home. I'll mortgage the home. We'll get money that way, and... We'll be able to take care of it, but how am I going to do this? So he's walking around this city where they were at, and he's getting a little depressed just because, you know, he's, we bought the insurance. They should cover us. This happened while we were cruising. So why isn't the insurance working? So he's outside getting a little depressed. 
and uh, he finds a, a building which looks like a church. He recognizes the name of it. It's in Spanish, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And um, he goes, oh, wow. So he goes back to the hotel where he was staying, and he asks the hotel manager, hey, is that uh, a Mormon church? The hotel manager goes, yes, and I'm a member of it. And, and my dad's like, well, sweet. Do you know where any missionaries are? He says, yes, I can get you missionaries right away. So about a half hour later, missionaries show up to the hospital. And um, my father asked them to give my mom a blessing. Now, these missionaries don't speak English. They're both Mexican missionaries. And so they understand what he wants. They understand because they probably spoke to the, the nurse and everything, what's going on. And they give my mom a blessing. And of course, um, my parents didn't understand a word they were saying, but I imagine they blessed her that everything would be just fine. And my father says, not more than 30 minutes after that blessing, the, the ship calls and says, we'll cover everything. The insurance will cover it. We'll make sure your wife gets home to California and gets the care that she needs. So not only was that prayer answered in 30 minutes, but a private plane comes down equipped with nurses and flies my mom and my dad back to their hometown in Concord to an airfield that's right by their house with an ambulance waiting for her. They haul her off to an ambulance and get her back to her doctor who takes care of her and fixes everything. Not only did they not have to pay for any of that because the insurance covered it, their luggage also gets back in record time. <laughs> wow. So it's a wonderful story that is so true to the gospel and so true to what missionaries, these young and nowadays 18-year-old, 19, 20-year-old missionaries can do to anyone. And it's so wonderful to see these young kids I mean, we sit back and watch them grow in the church, and we're like, wow, is this guy ever going to make it? And then they decide to go on a mission and get set apart, and that mantle of a missionary falls upon them, and their maturity level just skyrockets, and their maturity level in the church just skyrockets, and their maturity level in the priesthood just skyrockets. And it's just wonderful to know that our, the gospel of Jesus Christ is being preached by these young men and women who understand it and keep understanding it and they progress through life understanding it and they use that priesthood in such a way that it benefits those of us that really need a blessing at times. So yeah, that's that was a wonderful life experience that my mom went through that she shared with us. And you know right then and there the gospel's true. Mm -hmm. I love that. Thank you for sharing. You're right. It, it's hard to imagine, you know, now we're sending out 18, 19-year-old young and I say dumb. I mean, right? We're immature. We're inexperienced, right? Young men and young women. And we go out there and have to rise to that occasion, you know, fill that mantle that falls upon us. And you're right. It, it's an amazing thing to see. When you see missionaries, you can tell there's something different about them. Right. I remember teaching a family in Mexico where uh, the husband was very anti for a long time. But when he decided to start listening to us, he said, it's because I could feel something different every time you would come in my home. Right. Tell. They tell there's something different, and you do have that that priesthood power, which is amazing, right? You get to act basically in the role of the Savior. You're out there preaching, you're healing people, even like out of the blue. It makes right. me think of, you know, Christ was walking through the crowd, and the lady reached out and touched the hem of his robe and was healed instantly, and he stopped and, and talked to her. As missionaries, they I'm sure they didn't expect that day to have to go 
and give a woman a blessing who doesn't even understand their language, but they did it and see the miracles that came. Yeah, it was, it was wonderful. You know, who knows? Those missionaries probably don't even know the results of what happened, but someday they will. And um, But that's the thing. We just got to follow the Spirit at times, and sometimes we'll know what happens, and sometimes we won't. But uh, as long as we follow the Spirit, the results are usually right on. Yeah, I love that's why I love missions too, right? It's all about service. It's all about love. It's acting the way the Savior would, right? It's such a selfless thing to do, but then you're blessed too, like immensely, right? You learn and you grow, but it's just all about love and, and being like the Savior. Yeah. Wow, thank you for sharing that. That's story is amazing. Uh, now, I didn't mention this in your bio. I probably should have, but uh, Brother Cousins here, Matt, he spent his career in the U.S. Army. So not only did he he serve the Lord, he served, you know, uh, the country as well. So I'd love to hear first off, you know, how did you decide to join the military? And then let's hear about some of your experiences, you know, how the, the mission helped prepare you for, you know, the battlefield. You went from the mission field to the battlefield. Let's hear, let's hear about that. Yeah, so I always had the goal to join the military. My father was Navy. Um, my brother was Navy. Um, I decided to go Army. <laughs> um but I was in a, a Book of Mormon class, so I was already married. I got married pretty fast right off the mission. And um, I was at BYU, and I was in the Book of Mormon class, and I still had this goal to join the military. But my father was away an awful lot uh, being in the Navy, so I didn't see him a lot as a child. Um, so I was sort of hesitant to go in and not be with my family. And sometimes that's what happens. But... Uh, I had this Book of Mormon class, and the instructor was a chaplain in the Utah Army National Guard with the 19 Special Forces Group. And he would tell stories and everything about his uh, military career. And it really caught my attention because I didn't really know anything about the National Guard and how it worked. And um, so I went up and talked to him. And I kid you not, about two weeks later, I was swearing in to the Utah Army National Guard and uh, started my career that way in the 19th uh, Special Forces out here at Camp Williams. Um, and then just short time after that, I was in basic training. I went to my Army specialty school, and then right after that, I was jumping out of airplanes, which was uh, something I swore I would never do, but ended up doing it, and it was actually quite uh, exciting and exhilarating. So I had a lot of fun doing that. But um, through the National Guard, I actually ended up getting a full-time job with the National Guard. So I actually uh, spent uh, 23 years in the National Guard with uh, 21 of those being on active duty status. Wow. So uh, it's taken me all over the world. I did two tours in Iraq um, at the beginning, 2003 to 2004, and then I went back 2010 to 11. And then uh, right after I retired, I actually served as a civilian contractor in uh, Kandahar, Afghanistan. So um, I started out with the 19th uh, Special Forces and then switched over to the 300th Military Intelligence Brigade here in Utah as well. Wow, that is a long career in the military. That is really cool. So before we jump into the experiences maybe that you had in the military, first off, what is the culture like in the military? I can't believe it'd be super conducive to being a good member of the church. Maybe I'm wrong, but I'd love to kind of hear what that was like trying to be a good member of the church while in, a, in the military. Well, I have never really found it hard to be a good member of the church, and that's that's really being honest. Um, I grew up in California where, uh, you know, when I went to school, there was a handful of members. Um, 
at any given time, maybe two handfuls of members, but that was about it. And um, so I, ne- I never had a problem living the gospel. Now, now, did I make mistakes? Of course I did. Um, that just comes with the territory. Mm-hmm. But um, it wasn't hard to um, be that example. And um, so uh, I didn't really have a problem. Now, now, granted, the military is rough. There, you know, there's some, uh, how would you say it? Um, uh, there's some rough people in the military and that don't believe the way you do. I'll give you a case in point. So I'm in Iraq and um, I get assigned to a team to uh, look for weapons of mass destruction. So I'm with what they called the Iraqi survey group. Uh, we're the first teams to go out looking for them. Um, my team is mixed up with people from around the country and only two or three of us are members of the church, maybe four on a team of about 20. So it was different for them to have a leader. So I'm in charge of this team. I'm a lieutenant at the time. And to uh, not cuss, uh, that was one thing they always asked. Why don't you cuss? I said, no need to. <laughs> and uh, who who prayed? I like praying. So, um, you know, you always need that extra protection. So uh, there was one time where um, one of the guys got a little out of hand and uh, sort of badmouthed the church. And so I grabbed him, I threw him up against the wall, <laughs> and it will never let me hear you talk like that again. Um, we never had any rift between us. And in fact, at the end of his deployment, he left before I did, uh, I went to say goodbye to him, and he actually ended up hugging me and, and telling me thanks for everything. And so we left on great terms, and uh, I always... I always realized real early on in my career that it was just, and I'm not just saying this, this might sound like, oh, he's just saying that because he's a member of the church and wants to look good. No, I've I've never had a hard time being a member of the church and letting people know that I'm a member of the church. I've been to Thailand, and if you've ever been to Thailand, there's some sketchy areas. Um, I've had people who I'm with want to go to these sketchy areas, and then since I'm with them, they realized I wouldn't like that, <laughs> so they won't go to those areas. I had another person whose wife called him and said, who are you with? And he says, well, I'm with Matt Cousins. And he's, she says, good, because when you're with him, I know you're not going to do anything wrong. And, and I hope that doesn't sound, you know, uh, bragging or anything, but it's just something that I've never had an issue with in living the gospel. It's just, it's sort of a protection. They know who I am. And so most of the time they'll say, let's not do that because Matt's with me or Matt's with us. And so saves me from a lot of troubles. I don't mind being the designated driver because I know we'll get home safe. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, the military can be rough, but the gospel provides us protection. And if we're willing enough to live that gospel, I think that protection doesn't just protect you. It protects everyone around you. So... It was good. Yeah, there were times that were hard, but I didn't really have an issue with it. And being in the National Guard here in Utah also provides you extra comfort as well. So, <laughs> Yeah, no, I love that. Thank you for sharing. You're right. It, when we do live the gospel, it can bless those around us. And it's easier to be like a good, solid member 100% of the time than 98%, right? Once people see you can bend at times or, or make exceptions, that's when they'll expect that from you, right? But when you're solid all the time, like the, in instances where I've been around, lot of non-members they've tried to like test me a little bit here test me there and when they see i'm never backing down they're like oh they respect you right and they're like okay this is who he is and great 
they responded to you for it. And, you know, it's not good to say, it's not to say that I didn't make mistakes, because I did. We all do. But, um, you know, I know who I am. I know who I represent. So I do my best to try and not make mistakes and to be a good example for others to follow. So love that. Thank you. I love the transition. And let's hear some experiences you had during your military service, you know, the way you saw the hand of the Lord helping you and blessing you and others. One that stands out from my last deployment, so 2010 to 11, um, I'll give you two experiences, one where I didn't listen to the Spirit and one where I did. And let me tell you, when you don't listen to the Spirit, those are the greatest learning experiences I've ever had on how the Spirit communicates with me. And so um, so there's, there was this one instance where I walked into the office. I was always the first one in the office ready to work, um, you know, setting the example. And I walk in, I look at the printer, and on the printer there's papers, and I found that very odd because we should never have stuff just laying around. Mm-hmm. And and I read what the papers were, and it was one of my soldiers was going to complain. But he wasn't just going to complain. He was going to complain, skip the whole chain of command. Now, in the military, chain of command is very structured. You go through one step, you go to another step, you go to another step before you get to where you are. So, of course, all officials especially the higher-ups, like we had a general who said, my door is always open. Hey, that does not mean that that door is open. That means that you got to the door by going through your chain of command. You started from the lowest level and worked your way up until that person said, yes, you can go to that door now. So this soldier wanted to go straight to that door. So when I read that note and what he was going to tell that general, I cringed for one. And then I felt this overwhelming force or whatever you want to call it. And it was so strong. It said, you stop this right now. When that soldier enters this office, you drop everything and you go talk to him before he sends this. Hmm. And so what I got from that was there's going to be a lot of problems if I don't stop this now. Yeah. So I get busy working and I get really busy working. I hear this soldier come in. And I said, okay, I'll get to him in just a minute. Let me just finish this. And before I finished that, he had already sent it off to this general. And then it hit the fan. (laughs) And then, you know, it was, I think that day I got called into my colonel's office asking what was going on. And then I had to scrounge, run around and find out what exactly happened. And so long story short, I had to jump through hoops to fix this situation. It was another um, situation I did not need to deal with if I would have jumped on it right when the Spirit told me to. Just dropped everything and went and dealt with this. But um, So yeah, long story short, a lot of report writing I had to do after that, a lot of counseling I had to do after that. And um, yeah, so long story short, that one taught me how the Spirit interacts with me. I mean, you know, we learn all throughout our lives, how, but that was one thing that, okay, this is how the Spirit works in me, and this is how He communicates with me. Because we all struggle. How does the Spirit communicate with me? Well, now, from that experience, uh, really taught me a great lesson on how it, how the Spirit works in me. And um, so I have, I have really tried hard to not question it anymore, but to just follow it 
And sometimes I do know the results and sometimes I don't. But I try not to just say, is that me or is that the spirit? If I, if I feel something, I just try and act on it. And so that was one thing, a mistake I made by not living or listening to the spirit. But uh, another one was um, where I did listen. So at the end of my tour, so I'm, I'm the captain of, I'm the leader of this, this company. And at that time I was actually a major. So I'm going through my inventory. I want to get out of country and I have, an, I have to inventory everything and pass it on to the next company commander that's uh, coming in. And it's like signing for a house. I mean, it's a stack of papers, yay big. And you're signing everything. I mean, I was in charge of, I think the final price was like over $30 million worth of equipment. And they could charge me for anything that wasn't accounted for. And yeah, majors make good money, but they don't make that much money. <laughs> so... um and my company is all over Iraq from north to south and east to west. And so I had to rely on my soldiers to give me accurate numbers and accurate inventories. I got it back to where everything was 100%. I'm like, great, let's go get these papers off my property book. So when we're about to do that, I get a call from one of my soldiers who had given me 100% inventory. And then he called back and says, I'm missing a plugger. I'm like, but you gave me 100% inventory. He says, I know I did. I know I had that plugger, but I'm missing it now. So a plugger is a glorified uh, GPS system, which the military paid 2000 for. And you can go to uh, Walmart and get a GPS for, you know, 100 bucks or something like that. So I get called into the colonel's office again. He's asking me what's going on. I said, look, it was 100%. And now all of a sudden he's saying it's not. So I'm missing a plugger. I said, look, I just want to go home. It's the last thing I need to do to go home, get my inventory squared away. I said, I just want to go home. I said, look, I'm just going to pay the 2000 and get this over with. He says, no, you're not. We're going to find this. And I said, my company is all over Iraq. How am I going to find this? He says, we'll find it. I said, okay, sir, whatever whatever you want. So that night, I'm, I'm walking around the barracks and... And I'm thinking to myself, how am I going to find this? And and the Spirit says, you know the answer. Kneel down and pray. So I did. I knelt down and prayed and said, you know, I need to find this. So how, how is this going to happen? And I uh, just ended the prayer. So uh, the next day, I kid you not, this is totally true story. The colonel calls me in. He says, they found it. I said, they found it. I said, where'd they find it? He says, you're not going to believe how they found this. So a plugger is a sensitive item. Sensitive items means the inventory has got to be strict and you put it in a box or a Connex big box. You lock it up and it has to be sealed by someone with the authority to seal it. Once that seal is on there, the box does not get open until it returns to the United States. Wow. So when you're driving a vehicle, especially a big vehicle, which in this case was a two and a half ton vehicle, they call it a deuce and a half, um, you're supposed to have a ground guide to back you up. Whoever was driving this vehicle didn't have a ground guide and he backed up right into a connex that was a sensitive item connex that was sealed. Well, miraculously, that seal was busted. So that connex, because that seal was busted, had to be re-inventoried. Because of that re-inventory, they found my plugger that was inside that connex. Now that connex was associated to our sister unit, another unit that was going somewhere else in the United States. <laughs> so they re-inventoried it, found the plugger, 
gave it back to us. How it got in that Connex, I have no clue. I don't even want to speculate on how it <laughs> But my prayers were answered. I got the plugger back. I got 100% inventory. I was free to leave the country. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that is crazy. I, I love those experiences, yeah, where you just pray and somehow miraculously shows up. And you're, yeah, you're like, I don't know how. It's here, and I'm, I'm appreciative. I just have no idea how it got. And, and so I wonder if I didn't, if that prompting, would I have prayed? I hope I would have. But at least that time I did listen and knelt down and prayed and everything worked out in my favor. In both instances, one was bad, one was good, but both taught me a valuable lesson on how to listen to the Spirit. And so for that, I'm very grateful. It's, it has helped me out throughout the years. And that is something we all struggle with, like you mentioned, right? Learning how the Spirit speaks to us. And sometimes it's hard to learn through those negative experiences. It's always good to learn from the positive ones. Right. Sometimes you have to learn through those negative ones. Yeah. Were there any experiences where the Spirit helped protect you or were those under your control yeah. while you were over there? So my first deployment there, like I said, we were, yeah. So I was in charge of a team that went out um, looking for the weapons of mass destruction. So WMDs. So... We got this mission to go to a certain area, pretty close to Baghdad. And um, so it wasn't far from our home base, but I got this real deep impression saying, Matt, you got to memorize the maps. You got to memorize your, your route that you're going to take before you leave to go conduct this mission. So I got all the maps. I memorized the route, um, knew exactly where I was going. I had it all in my head. I knew alternate routes. So I was, I was really prepared for this. Now inside our vehicles, I have another glorified GPS system where I plot in where I'm going and it basically directs us to where we're going. Well, lo and behold on this day, now remember I've, I've done all my research. I've done the memorization of the route and the maps. I've got it all in my head, but I'm still using the GPS to get me there. So right before, so we're in our vehicles. I have my convoy with me. And uh, I'm leaving the convoy. And right as we get outside the gate, my GPS goes blank. I don't know why the computer went dead, but it went dead. And there was no way to reboot it. So I said, well, we're going to continue on because I know where I'm going. I've memorized the maps. I've memorized the route. I know exactly where to go. So as we're getting up to where I need to go, I actually missed a turn. And so I missed the turn. And I'm like, well, that's okay because I know where to go, I know an alternate route. And we went and took the alternate route and went to where our mission was to be conducted. And so we spent the day at this place conducting our mission, finally finished the mission. And as we were getting ready to return to base, my uh, NCO, so the non-commissioned officer in charge, he uh, went out to the street where there was a vendor selling cold drinks. Now you gotta remember Iraq, it's hot. I mean, it's hot. We're hitting 120, 125, uh, if not hotter. So he went out and get some cold drinks for everyone. As he was out there, the vendor of these cold drinks explained to him that right across the street, there was buried an IED. So an IED is an improvised explosive device. Well, not only was that IED right out of the street, it was right where we were supposed to turn, where I had missed the turn this morning. Whoa. So you can chalk that up to whatever you want, but I was supposed to turn right there and I missed it. If my GPS was on, I would have turned right there. 
But as, like I said, when I left the gate, that GPS went dead and it would not work. So I missed that turn because that GPS was dead, but I knew where I was going. So I went up and took an alternate route and avoided the IED. So we called in the explosive ordnance unit and they came out and examined it. And at that time it was disconnected. So there was no, there was no ignition switch to it. Okay, granted, that was in the afternoon. I don't know what that was like in the morning. Yeah. And it was rigged to be daisy-chained. So what that meant was multiple IEDs hooked up to it. Mm -hmm. So not only could that have gotten my vehicle, it could have gotten the other vehicles as well. So that was another experience that just taught me not to ignore the spirit and to just act upon it whether you know the results or not. And most of the time, we're probably not going to know the results. Mm -hmm. But if you want to keep getting those promptings, <laughs> you've got to learn how to listen to it. You've got to learn, because the way I feel, the way we've been taught is the more you listen to it, the more you'll receive those promptings and the more it'll help you out in your life. I love that. It's like developing a spiritual muscle, right? The more you use it, the more you work it out, the stronger it gets. Right. And I'm still learning. I'm not, haven't perfected it yet, but it sure does help. Yeah. So if the other guys in your group, like, say anything about that experience, do they recognize some sort of, like, divine intervention, or what do they say about that? Well, they, uh, so I'll tell you something. So I would kneel down and pray before each mission, and alone in my room. Uh, we were getting behind on time, and I was kneeling down praying, and I can hear the guys coming up to the room, and uh, I know they saw me praying. And they, they got quiet and went back down the stairs. And um, and so the NCYC who was with me, some of the guys started asking questions. And, um, you know, they say, why do you pray? And I said, uh, well, do you want me to stop praying? <laughs> you know, after everything we've been through, do you want me to stop praying? He said, no, no, can, you can continue to pray. Pray all you want. So uh, they knew. They knew a little bit about it. We we were able to share the gospel actually with them. They they would ask many questions actually, and we would give the answers the best we could. And uh, I don't, we didn't convert anyone, but we sure did make a lot of friends. And uh, that's half the battle right there. So I agree. Wow, that is an amazing story. It like you said, if we plant seeds, we don't know when they're gonna grow and be harvested. Maybe it's in the next life, but it's like always good to be just planting those seeds, living the right way, and. And like you mentioned several times, well, we might never know the full repercussions of, of what we've done or following the Spirit until the next life, right? We'll right. hopefully look back and see what happens. Exactly. Yeah. So thanks for sharing all these experiences. This has been amazing, and I've, I've learned so much. I'd love to, as we're closing out here, you know, you, you talk about your mission and how it's kind of helped prepare you for, you know, being in the Army. Like, we build upon that foundation throughout our lives, right? We keep learning. We keep growing. So what are some lessons you've learned over the years you'd like to share with our listeners? So one thing I learned is pray always. Actually, my wife is a champion of that. We we can't get out of the house with a prayer without a prayer. She is a champion of prayer and has taught me a lot about it as well. And so uh, prayer is very vital in our family. So we do that a lot, and we really do feel that it's protected us, especially in our travels and in our family life. So yeah, prayer is a big thing. And the other thing which I've already discussed is uh, don't question the spirit. Uh, just go with the flow. Um, I'll give you one more example. So years ago, SR-73 right here, one of the main entrances in the Eagle Mountain. So SR-73, 
uh, we had a big snowstorm and uh, the wind was blowing from north to south and the wind, the snow drifts piled so high on SR-73 that it buried cars and stranded people. So right before that happened, I was um, heading west on SR-73 and I could see ahead of me all these cars, red lights flashing. And I didn't really understand what was going on because I hadn't gotten to the deep snow yet. And once again, I heard that prompting said, make a left turn. And uh, so I did. And lo and behold, the road I took making that left turn was clear. And I was able to get home. I turned on the news that night and SR-73 was completely shut down. Multiple cars buried in the snow. And people were having to walk back down to the Smiths in Saratoga Springs where they were being cared for until they could get the snow out of the way. Now they have a snow barrier there in case that drift happens again. But yeah, listen to the spirit. Get to know the spirit and how it works in you because it's different for everyone. I get all hot and flashy and sometimes I start shaking. <laughs> or sometimes I just, you know, feel that prompting so strong that you just can't deny it. And so I've learned to just go with it and hopefully I'll see what happens and maybe I won't. So, but um, it's been a long process. It doesn't happen overnight. Learning isn't a, an internal uh, concept, I guess. <laughs> so we're always going to be learning. Hopefully I'll just get better at it. And another thing that I learned over the years is sometimes life gets rough. You're just sitting there going, what am I doing? Nothing seems to be working. And at those times in my life, I've always found it very, very comforting to take inventory of all of those blessings that I've been given. And, uh, you know, like the song says, count your many blessings and see what God has done. So that's been really helpful in my life to just sit down and take inventory of all the wonderful things that I've been able to partake of and experience and all the wonderful things I've been blessed with, especially a wonderful wife and three great kids. I live by the uh, quote that my mom has always said ever since I was little was, um, look for the good in all things. And sometimes my youngest daughter will, will challenge me, well, what if this happens? What's the good in that? And so I'll, I'll spew something out that she'll, she'll laugh at, but at the same time, hey, it, it could be good. <laughs> so... And I know there's a lot of tragedy around the world, especially nowadays, and things just don't look right. And believe me, I'm the first to say, I think it's time for Christ to come. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it might not, it's probably not time yet, but despite everything that's going on in the world, it is so comforting to take inventory of all those blessings and just uh, thank the Lord for everything that we have. Because we... Despite everything that's going on, even here in the U.S., we are truly blessed to be here. I mean, I've been around the world, and there's no place like home. So, Agreed. Thank you for sharing those lessons. Especially that, that last one makes me think of, you know, we, we teach investigators about the Book of Mormon, and we ask them to read and pray about it. We always go to Moroni 10, right? Right. Verses 4 and 5, where we talk about, you know, having a sincere heart, real intent, praying about it. But one thing I noticed when I was on my mission, I was praying to reconfirm my testimony of the Book of Mormon. One scripture that hit me was the verse right before, verse 3, 
if you don't mind, maybe I'll just read that real quick for you sure. and our listeners. Uh, he says, Behold, I would exhort you that when you shall read these things, if it be wisdom in God that you should read them, that you would remember how merciful the Lord hath been unto the children of men from the creation of Adam, even down until the time that ye shall receive these things and ponder it in your hearts. So Moroni encourages us to ponder on those, those blessings that the Lord has given us from the beginning of time, right? From the beginning of Adam till today, because that puts us in the right mindset to then pray to know the truthfulness of the Book of Mormon to have faith in Christ, right? So I think your your lesson there is so good and so true that it's good to sit back, take inventory of our lives, the blessings the Lord has given us, and see, because as we serve with him in, in his vineyard, right, we bless others, but we're also immensely blessed because the Lord and our Father in heaven love to give us blessings, right? Yeah, so true. Yeah, well, thank you, Matt. This has been an absolute pleasure for me. I've learned so much from you and your, your life well-lived following the Spirit, and I hope our listeners have learned a lot today too. I think you set the bar really high. We're starting these episodes off very high, so I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you very much. And I, I appreciate this opportunity. It's helped me uh, remember a lot of things that I've lived through. So Yeah, thanks for joining us. Thanks to our listeners. We'll see you all next time on In the Lord's Vineyard. <laughs>